Welcome to Pebble in the Pond, a podcast that hopes to create a ripple of change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I'm the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year I have the pleasure of attending events to meet and connect with the most fascinating and accomplished people in mental health. Listen in as I go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand, from lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering to some listeners. If you feel you need assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. Moving into episode two, this week we're shifting our focus to shine a spotlight on the power of lived experience. For 19-year-old Matt Caruana, what looked like everything was going great at face value had a very different story behind the scenes, resulting in life-changing circumstances. Matt is using his dark past and turning points as a catalyst to instruct, inspire, influence and impact people's frame of mind for them to change their lives. Listen in and discover Matt's journey and how his experience has transformed his outlook on life. All right, welcome to Pebble in the Pond podcast. Uh, Joining me today is Matt Caruana. Uh, Matt, thanks very much for coming uh, along the show. You're a facilitator in mental health. Uh, Tell us a bit about your story uh, and yeah. For me, it started when I was 12 years old. Just got into high school, year seven came. I was excited for high school. Things were going great. I actually had a lot of a lot of friends. I was I was getting along with people. This is in Sydney, is it? Yeah, in Sydney. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was living in Sydney. I lived in Sydney all my life. What school did you go? Went to Gilroy College. Cool. Okay. Yeah, it's a good school. I um, what's it called? I didn't have any family issues. I didn't have any problems with friends. I was fairly popular. I from the outside, everything looked great. But then halfway through the year, all of a sudden, I had these questions for myself. Firstly, what's the meaning of my life? Tell us about your journey so far. Yeah, so to, to start, I was on end. And so, like I said, the conclusion was I was worthless. So that, that was my beginning of depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts because I, was, I thought I was a waste of space. Did you tell someone at that point? Did you? No, I kept it all to myself. I didn't want to tell anyone. I thought it was soft of me. I thought I needed to have a cup of concrete, harden up, right? And like in my family, it was never spoken about. Secondly, if I was dead, would anything change, which led to, am I a valuable part to society? And the answer to those questions was, well, I was 12 years old, lived at home with my parents. (laughs) I didn't have any job, I didn't play any role in society. Therefore, if I was gone, nothing would change. Therefore, my life meant nothing. This I was about when you were upset and you were down. It was all about the yeah, triumphs and the great worthless. Yeah, I was 12 years old. Wow. Yeah, wow. That um, really drove me nuts because that's the only answer I could come up with. Because I would dwell on this for how many times you'd have no one spoke about being down. Not even my cousins, uncles, aunties. No one. So it was very much something I had to deal with, I believed. Uh, that's, a, that's a lot of pressure and a lot of anxious to put, put on yourself at such an early age. I, how, how, did you, how did you go through each day at that point? Well, unhappy, un, unfulfilled. 
I, I, I didn't like myself at all. I started experimenting drugs with drugs. So some friends at the skate park introduced me. So I hadn't told anyone up to, the, up to the stage as well to it. And I found like numbed, I suppose yeah, that's the word. It's just, I found the drugs, they numbed and numb and pain. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thoughts, feelings that I had, it just, they numbed it. And I went experimenting further. So after that instance with my friend at the skate park, I sat over his house. What sort of drug? So 16, yeah. And, uh, and the plan was? I threw myself off the building. And uh, what happened? That's what I did. And two weeks later, after that attempt, I ended up in hospital. Was it initially? So initially it was just weed. Yeah. And then the day after, before we went to the skate park again, he offered me a pill. I didn't know what it was, but in my mind, the weed made me feel better. Surely this would as well. So I thought this might be what I've needed for the last six months. So, and sure enough, it, it marks a numbed pain. So this is in year seven, at the end of year seven? The end of year seven, yeah. So the wow. end of year seven started year eight around that time, yeah. Wow. Christmas holidays. Then um, after that instance, when I was at home, I was thinking, wow, I, I, I need more of this, whatever it is. So I went out looking for someone to get some drugs off. I eventually came across someone because in my mind, I had to keep drug life and normal friends, family life separate. That had to be two completely different things because my parents kill me yeah. and my friends would leave me if they, if anyone knew. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, so the friends you were hanging around at school were different than the friends you were hanging around at the skate park. Yeah. So the thing is, so I used to go to the skate park just before my grandparents' house, okay. like most weekends, and eventually I got to know them, and like a few of them, um, we didn't get close. We just got to a point where we we liked hanging out with each other. So one time I slept at his house, and that was the one time I got introduced to drugs. And your grandparents, uh, you because they played such a close role to your family and helping bring you up or on the weekends were your parents working? Or? No, so like Sunday was like a family day for us. Okay. And yeah, I went to my grandparents' place most weekends. Yeah, so it was usually, yeah. It was, um, it was good though, I, I, I've always gone along with them. And so that's grade eight, you're into first introduced to, to drugs, started with weed, then you're into some pills. And then, so this guy I met, he, um, so, he wasn't suspicious, he was just smoking, but I recognized the smell. So I approached him and he was by himself. Um, basically I asked us if I could smoke with him. He let me. And about an hour after I had to leave and he says, before you leave, take this. And he hands me a bag of Coke. And, th and this time I'm like, okay, um, I've never done this before, I'll pass. And he says, look, don't worry. It's your first line. How bad, um, it's not gonna kill you. I'm like, how bad can it be? So this is the age of 13? Yeah. Wow. So I had, had a go. I thought this was it. I thought this topped everything I've done already. I need more of it. I went through that bag pretty quick and went back to him. And I asked if he had any more, but this time he said it wasn't for free. That was gonna cost me. Now, I didn't have a job at 13 years old, however, he had one for me. 
How were you uh, going home or to your grandparents after that? I mean, did they notice anything? Was there any... So this guy I met was not too far from where I lived. Yeah. I came across him, yeah. But did your parents or your grandparents notice a change in behavior after you'd had the drugs? Did they know you were on the drugs at all? One thing they noticed in me was my drastic drop in weight. Yeah. I was extremely skinny. I was constantly insecure about my body too. But um, the, that's why also skinny, but the drugs didn't help. Like, I wasn't heavily addicted. I'm very lucky for, like, like for what's happened to me in my life. I was using the coke now for when I was feeling seriously depressed and seriously considering suicide and trying to map it out. That's when I know, okay, now I use. So did you find after you started engaging in drug use that the highs obviously were higher, but the lows were also getting worse? Yeah, the lows were getting, the lows were dressed, oh, sorry, gradually gradually getting worse. Those highs, was ne- they, were, they were never as good as my first high. I, was, I kept on chasing that too. But it was also there just to mask, mask the pain, which it did. Um, it wasn't a great option though. That, that That's the thing. I. I noticed I felt down afterwards. That's because I didn't have the coke. Mm. The suicidal thoughts wouldn't come on straight away. It would usually take some time and then come back at it. Only on the downer. Yeah, only when mm. I'm seriously down. Or I was at like a party or something yeah. and everyone was doing drugs when I was dealing. And so so this is, so when you went to uh, the, the person who gave you the, the first bag of coke and then you uh, went back and he said, well, now you gotta pay for it. Is that when you started delving into uh, drug dealing? Yeah. Okay. That's so you that was the first job that you had. <laughs> Call it a job, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's that's what I did because the way I saw it, that was just there for me just to get the courage to maintain my mental health. I thought that's what I needed to do to keep this stable. Yeah. And so that's yeah. And so you started uh, dealing drugs uh, and making money at that point this is mm. when you're sort of 13 yeah uh we you're still using at that time obviously as well yeah so i was dealing to keep up with the use yeah because i wasn't for free and uh and did your parents uh notice anything at that point um where you're going who you're spending time with so i when i was dealing it was strictly at night okay. i was so paranoid about getting caught i snuck out of my house and when, um, so again, the only difference people noticed in me was my drastic drop in weight. First people would notice were my grandparents. Then my parents would constantly tell me, mate, you gotta eat more, gotta eat more. But yeah, that, that's the only real difference I think they saw. Did they notice a change in my behavior? I don't know. A change in my um, mood? I did my best to hide everything. I was very paranoid. So how long did that go on for then? How long were you able to keep masking it and keep dealing drugs and drug use? So the whole drug, so whole, let's say coke and dealing, they were my, that was my biggest sort of thing at the time. That went on for, uh, so the dealing went on for like eight months and the coke was 11 months. Oh. So I met a girl in year eight who would be my girlfriend at the time. She was like, what? She, I, she, she filled a hole that I had in my life. And so that's some sense of fulfillment. I, I saw like value in the relationship. But in saying that, she eventually found out. So I, was, I started smoking weed with some friends, friends at school. They um, sort of like in thing with like a minority. 
with a great, and I, I join them. And then my girlfriend finds out and confronts me about it. So that's when I opened up to her, told her everything I was doing, including the drugs. This is now in grade nine, is it? When you're like There's, 14? It's just halfway through year eight. Yeah, wow. It's around 10, three, year eight. Yeah. Okay. And so she gave, gave me an ultimatum. You can pick me or pick the drugs. And I said, don't worry about the drugs. I don't need the drugs. Like, I want to stay with you. I said that because I've, I, again, she filled a hole that I had. However, I needed to think to myself seriously, like, was this something I'm, I'm, I'm ready to leave? Because this has helped me now for eight months. She has been there for me for now four months. But I noticed at the time as well, I started getting angry towards her. I had all this resentment. I'm like, why, why, <clears throat> why is that there for her? She hasn't done anything wrong. Yeah. This is purely me. And so I thought a stepping stone to getting out of all this is to stop dealing. So I kept some coke for myself, paid off my supplier, and that was it for dealing. And three months after that, luckily I had my girlfriend in my life. And I stopped coke. So you stopped, we're now in grade nine, when you stopped completely? Uh, end of year eight. End, end, end of year eight, yeah. Uh, and, and then what's happened? Then what happened? Well, I was now even more depressed because I didn't have that anymore. It wasn't available to me. I was still smoking weed, uh, but I was also, um, so I picked up other, other habits. So firstly, DJing. I love DJing. I, as I mentioned earlier, I, was, I felt worthless. However, doing this, oh, I, I felt like everyone's best friend. Yeah. I felt everyone loves me and people accepted me and that was incredible. Spinning the discs. Yeah, I loved it. Good on you. <laughs> it was a hobby in my room for myself that I loved, but then I could bring it out to part, like house parties. I thought it was, this was great. So, so was it mainly house parties or was it school dances? Was it, where, where, where were you DJing? Uh, Nightclubs? No, nah, strict, so now I'm 14. Strictly house parties. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and um, I had one instance where, where it was at the school, which I thought was pretty cool. Wow. Yeah, Gilroy Day. That was, that was awesome. Anyways, <laughs> then I picked up the guitar and the gym as well. Now, I thought guitar was great and it was, it's still a song I've used today. And the gym was good, but I thought I had good intentions. I thought I was gonna build the bigger version of myself, the best version of myself, but I was feeding my insecurities and feeding my ego completely. With, uh, with my dieting, my training, I was eating and training to the point of throwing up. Wow. It was, I took it to the extremes. I was never happy with myself, no matter how big, how lean I got. It was never enough. I was never happy. Yeah. So that's how I started, well, that's how I was trying to deal with it while still smoking weed every day. So, a few days. Okay, so your girlfriend didn't know about the weed? Oh, no, no, she, no, so she started smoking as well. Okay. Yeah. So she's so, now into the weed with you. Yeah, that's right. Um, but the, the other hard stuff is no longer yeah. part of, of what you're doing. Mm. So the depression uh, was, was still existing. Uh, there mm. was... Uh, yeah. But you were obviously spending time uh, distracting yourself with the gym and, and some other things with the guitar and, and whatnot. Mm. Where did it go from there? In grade nine, still, uh, still with your girlfriend? Yeah, still with her. I then started skipping school as well. And you coordinator found, found out. I told her, look, I just, I told her the truth why I was. Like, I just want to disappear. Don't want to be around people. I don't like you know, school. Then she urged me to see a counsellor at school. 
and I was hesitant to, I didn't want to. However, I did. And I, I noticed it got things off my chest. I felt a little lighter. It was, it was, it was going all right. However, those thoughts came back about, well, give or take two months after this, two, three months after, where it's like, what happened to manning up? What happened to having, having a cup of concrete? What happened to taking care of your own problems? This isn't for other people to deal with. This is my problem, so I have to deal with it. And so from that, that point on, I decided not talking to the counselor, not, not opening up to my girlfriend or my friends. No one will know, because it's gonna be my problem, because it is my problem. And so that's, it was at that time where I had seriously started planning out how I was gonna attempt suicide. And pretty quickly I came up with a plan that was pretty, look, I thought was solid and yeah. Then a year later was when I actually went through with it. I was in a coma, coma for two weeks. Um, spinal injury, brain injury, 35 injuries in total. Wow. Yeah. Broken bones. Broken bones, um, other stuff. I couldn't even, I couldn't even pronounce the words. Like yeah, I saw yeah. my list, I was like, what is that? Wow. So All I know is I came out best case scenario. So you've woken up in the hospital mm. and, and what happened then? Well, so I had one, one thing I wanted in life. I only, wanted, I only asked one thing, that was to get rid of it. I wanted to end it all, but I couldn't do that right. I felt more pathetic and worse, worthless than I had ever in my life. I had never hated myself more. And I remember going to the spinal ward, everyone was like, what are you doing here? You're 16 years old, you're a baby. Why are you here, Matt? What happened to you? Everyone loved that question, what happened? What happened? People came to visit me, people in public. It was just everyone. Was that the first time you had to share with them the truth? No, I told them I fell off a building, I had an accident. Okay. Was that true for your parents as well and your family? Your girlfriend? No, they all knew. I actually left my girlfriend a message. She was the only person I left. I didn't actually say I was going to do it. I just vomited thoughts and basically strongly suggesting that that's what I was doing. Yeah. And so she knew um, then, yeah, all that. So I, I, I had to tell everyone that um, I had an accident Yeah. because I, I, I couldn't accept it. Don't get me wrong, people knew. Yeah. But yeah, then I had an instance which did change my life in terms of opening up to people. What, what was that? <clears throat> yeah, it was, it was a week before I left hospital. I went with my mum to get some piercings. So when I got these done, I was over the moon. I've wanted them for months and I finally got them done. On the train ride home, halfway through, through the trip, this guy comes on the train and he takes his first step and he, the first thing he sees is me, locks eye contact, and he just, <clears throat> he just explodes, right? <laughs> Before he even sits down, he's like, well, what did you do to yourself? And he, it's like he knew. I'm, I'm thinking, like, wow, like, what did you do to yourself? That's <laughs> quite the question. <laughs> and I, I swear, it must have been a mixture of how happy I was and how abrupt he was. I just said, look, I attempted suicide. 
And he responds with, well, that was pretty fucking stupid, wasn't it? And I, <laughs> pardon the French, but that was how he, he reacted. And I didn't know how to take it. Yeah. It was a pretty awkward conversa conversation after that. He, he started laughing, so I giggled with him. But what I noticed was the next morning, I woke up with this energy that I hadn't had in as long as I could remember and that I felt lighter. And I was like, this, uh, this feels different. And for the first time, I went and saw my social worker. I didn't wait for her to come back to me. I told her what happened. I told her about the guy on the train, how I'm feeling this morning. And I'm like, what, what's in all this? Like, I, I, it's, I'm like, just a random bloke. Yeah. On, on the train. Didn't get his name. I, I, at the time, I thought he was a bit of a nut. Mm. <laughs> I didn't know what to think of him. But my social worker made me realize that, hey, Matt, that um, I think there's something in that. Yeah. You know, and maybe if you would open up to the people, open up to the people close to you in life, i.e. your girlfriend, friends, family, your parents, you could strengthen the relationships because opening up to that stranger on the train helped get things off your chest and make things lighter for you. So that was my first turning point. Had, yeah. Your parents knew about it before that, though, about what you what you attempted to do, did they, with the jumping off the building? They knew... Did, so, so you're asking, did they know before I actually... No, so after the incident, when you woke up and then you're on the train and you're telling that guy, your, your mum or... Everyone, everyone knew. So, so, so my, my parents knew that, um, my whole family, they, they all knew I took... What was their reaction? To, was it one of love and support? Was it... They didn't know how to deal with it. No one did. And um, initially, everyone treated me differently. Are they like, it's like they were on thin ice. If they said anything wrong, if they did anything wrong, they were gonna like, it's like I'd go for it again. But I hated that. And I hated, like for example, my parents, if I asked for anything, they'd give it to me. I didn't like that. And then I saw how they I, were treating my brother and sister. That didn't change from before my injury. While they're treating me differently, while I was like, like asking for something and get and getting it, why weren't they? And do you think your parents uh, sort of felt like they were somewhat responsible? Yeah, I think they did. Uh, I think they did at the time. Yeah, it took some like I've I've obviously told them my entire story. They've yeah. seen me speak and all that. So I've I've um they know like, like the ins and outs of it now, but. Okay, so the guys, yeah. you've seen him on the train, you've gone back to your social worker and they said, well, there's something in that about talking to somebody. Yeah. What, what, uh, where did you take it from there? Do you obviously were volunteering to go back to your social worker instead of being dragged along. Yeah, so when I was still in hospital, so that's a massive turning point for me. So I actually started talking with my girlfriend firstly, and I realized, well, our relationship was growing stronger. She trusted me more. She was happier with me. Maybe there's something in this. So I spoke to my parents and my friends again. Well, my parents for the first time and then my friends again. And yeah, all my relationships grew closer. It was incredible. But I was still depressed. That didn't fix my issue. I still felt worthless. I, those three questions I had for myself were still, they weren't unanswered. I had the same answer for, for all three of them. But what changed that was, uh, I was now home. This is February 27th. No. End of 2016, I actually had the meeting with her. Um, my social worker, she actually called me in again and said, hey Matt, um, come for a meeting. And she said, do you remember that guy on the train and how it made you feel and how it actually helped you? 
are you comfortable, would you be comfortable sharing your story at a program at the hospital? And I said, I'm, I'm not a public speaker. I don't do speaking. However, before I said no, I'm not going to do it, something in me, and it came from the heart, and it said, Matt, do it. Matt, give it a shot. Hell, you could help someone. Imagine that. So I gave it a shot, and February 2017 was my first time sharing. Scared as hell. I was shaking. I was nervous. And I remember afterwards, the students came up to me. While I'm there shaking, they said, hey, Matt, thank you for sharing. Matt, I got a lot out of hearing you today, and I actually want to tell my friends. You inspired me. That is when like, I held it back while the students were in the room, but I started tearing up after that. I was in complete gratitude for what I thought was the worst thing that ever happened to me. It was now the one thing I was most grateful for. That throughout my entire journey, right, from when I first became depressed to drugs to my attempt to the guy on the train and then that moment there, that I was, in, I was actually grateful for my entire journey. That if, I had, if, if none of that had happened, I wouldn't be in the position I was there that day. That, that's when I found my purpose. That's when I found what I wanted to do. Like, not necessarily as a career, I had thoughts of it, which is now reality, but that's besides the point. It was just, it fulfilled me and I loved it. So I went and did more of it. And the more I did, the more fulfilled I became. And I started, started surrounding myself with people that were doing similar things and they inspired me, they motivated me, and they encouraged and support me as well. So from finding what I loved, that's where my depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts became irrelevant. Were you seeking help through psychology? Uh, were you being medicated? Was there any, uh, any other help that you were getting? I refused all my antidepressants when I was in hospital. I was told though, if you don't take at least your lorazepam, so that was given to me for anxiety and um, what's it called, insomnia, I was going to be sent to the mental health unit. And everyone, everyone was basically telling me, Matt, just, just take this, like, just don't get sent there. And so that's what I did. Did that make you feel better? I didn't like it. it uh, in, in the sense that, the sleep I got from it was was gluggy. It wasn't like gen it wasn't like it wasn't deep sleep. And what I found was too, I started building a, a habit of let's save some pills up and take them all at once. I.e., I had home visits, and I would save them up and take them all in one night. Like, so, and anyways, um, basically noticed a little bit of an addiction going on there. Same with the endone painkillers I was on. However, having had my previous experience with drugs, I'm very grateful and lucky that I was able to have an awareness early on and say, look, oh, let's cut this before shit yeah. gets too, you're too heated with it. So you have lost all feeling in your legs? So spinal injury, oh, my level's T12 L1. It's basically, so it's supposed to be all function from this level down, lost, i.e. Uh, so movement of legs, sensation, uh, bladder, bowel, sexual function should yeah. all be gone. However, I've had a lot come back. So what was, what, was, what, what was told to me was a complete injury isn't complete. I've gotten a lot more back than what, I, <laughs> what I've been told and I'm very lucky to be in the position I am in. Wow. 
Yeah, and will I go back and change anything in my past? No, I wouldn't. I would give advice to younger Matt, but I wouldn't change anything because I'm the best version of me. Yeah. For my true disability is healed. Mm. And so are you uh, hopeful of being able to recover in light of being able to, to get other functions back to eventually walk again one day? I'm over three years into my injury and I've, I'm still seeing progress. I don't see any reason for that, not me, not you. Good on you, man. That's inspiring. Thank you. The, uh, you, how, how important has, was your support network? So you, your parents and friends now that know <laughs> about the challenge you were facing, uh, suicidal thoughts that you lived to tell the story of, yeah. but you were still experiencing some sort of depression, but going out to talk about it was was helping you, was, was, was the support network always a, a key, also a key ingredient to help help you through it? Yeah, so I mean, if I'm, my first support person would, would be my girlfriend at the time. She was always there for me, so I always went to her. Parents were second to her, and then it was my friends. And the, because I had them in my life, they, they did help, they did help me. In the, especially in the, in the initial stages. There are some people who, so like a couple of my friends, who didn't treat me any differently. I was still one of the, like one of the boys, right? I was um, treated the exact same. We were still close, we still spoke about things we spoke about before my injury. And they weren't negative. They are about like common interests we had and goals. And I love that. And I didn't spend a whole heap of time with, it, with them. Well, at least in hospital. But um, I loved it. So yes, the support network made it was a massive part in the initial phase for me, yeah. And so you now, you're going around speaking uh, about your experience and, and I have no doubt inspiring others uh, and with your story what else what else are you doing at the moment like what's uh, what's man up to yeah so that's so that, that's my first thing my mission <clears throat> is to instruct inspire influence and impact people's frame of mind for them to change their lives that's my mission that's what I do with my workshops my presentations even just times when I just share my story I share my story at every presentation I give because I like to create an example but I also run activities most of the times to help students or whoever I'm speaking to digest my points. I'm also doing a course in currency trading and currently trading my own money. I'm doing acting courses to help with my presentations and cool. I've had a couple of experiences acting. But I think it's really, really cool because it's another way for me to fulfill my mission and get my message out there. And I'm like, wow, where can I take this mission? Like, and like, I've got all these ideas in my mind. Then, um, yeah, so, they're the main things I'm doing. Yeah. I've, um, yeah, I go to the gym pretty frequently, okay. still, but for different intentions. I'm not fe feeding my insecurities, my ego Tell anymore. Me, you got some big guns on you. <laughs> 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 so you keep yeah. yourself busy with the gym. So, and you find that that physical health is is helping your yeah. mental health as well. Of course. Well, the thing is, like, because I have, I know my mission, and I know what fulfills me. And, I, and I'm fulfilling that. I don't feel any need to have to help my 
Okay, my, there's no more depression and my anxiety. I still have bad days, don't get me wrong. But it's a, it's a completely different frame of mind. Yeah. And the phys- so the going to the gym is a massive part for me because it's just something I enjoy now. And I've got goals for myself. And and if, if I'm hitting them, I'm happy. Like, and, and I see progress and it's like, wow. Yeah. Tell me about your girlfriend. So she obviously, she's no longer your girlfriend? No, we broke up end of last year actually. I've got a new girlfriend and we are doing incredibly well. She's amazing. She's, um, we've only been a couple of, just over four months now, but it's incredible the growth we've had that we, we, we've spoken about this like a handful of times already that if it, it's only four months, but it feels like four years at least. The amount of growth we've had, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. That's really, uh, really interesting. And, and I mean, your story is uh, inspiring, you know, hey, um, what you've done since your incident and to turn it around. Do you still have uh, depression, bouts of depression or anxiety uh, attacks at all? Do you have any of that anymore? No, I get, I get down days, don't get me wrong. So yeah. when I said like, like previously, I've had no issues with family, I haven't, no, not even a fight. A, a massive fight family that came at the time of my injury. I've I've never lost anyone close to me in my life until about three months ago, where my um, auntie passed away. Um, oh, sorry, and she, yeah. she was she was very supportive of me too of what I do. She committed suicide, so the uh, so I, I, it, it didn't hit me at first, but I remember when it did, it really did. But and so like I, I was pretty upset about that. My parents got separated again about two, three months ago. I've, 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 I, I still get it down. Like I've had um, those down times with my girlfriend too. That, that's where all our growth has come from. Mm. But yeah, the, it's not depression. I believe it's completely different. Are, are, you, are you getting any uh, ongoing help or are you still taking uh, any, uh, any uh, medicine or any? I don't. I haven't been on any medication for a while, unless I get extremely sick every now and then. I um, have a support network still around me, so I've got my, I've got my girlfriend Bridget. Yep. She helps me incredibly. I, I've got my, my parents. I always go to siblings, my, my good friends. And, uh, I, well, I'm I'm not seeing any counsellors. I, I well, I've I mean I've got a life coach. Essentially, it's a um, similar thing. I've got mentors as well, which we we do similar stuff. But yeah, it's um, yeah. I obviously have support still around me. Yeah, yeah. And they they're they're massive to keep me. When you uh, share your story, and there's uh, a lot to be said for for people with lived or living experience to be sharing their story to help others. it seems to resonate a lot more uh, with people when they hear it from from someone else that's been through it or has mm. is going through it. Do you uh, do you think that there needs to be a better approach? Do you feel like people need to open up earlier? It is what would you suggest to people that are experiencing the same sort of thing you're experiencing? Firstly, understand it's okay to feel like that. Yeah, and that you're not alone. The same I didn't understand early on. Uh, if, I mean, cause it, it, it's uncomfortable to talk about. 
it's it, like, for, like IE social media, it is bombarded with everyone's highlight reel. <laughs> they, put, they put lipstick on the pig, don't they, in, in social media? <laughs> Pretty much. Make everything looks so good. Exactly right. And, and they still Photoshop that, right? They, um, everything's picture perfect. And then we compare our lives to that. That's not what we should be doing. So it's almost like it's not okay to feel that way. But understanding that it, it is, and that they're not alone, that there are supports out there too, and that people actually care. It's something, it's hard to gr grasp when you're in that frame of mind, but I think the first step is just knowing it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. And that second step is actually opening up. And the, a lot of the work you're doing helps to create that awareness to say, well, it is okay not to feel okay, and, mm. and it's okay to go and seek help or to go to talk to somebody yeah, I, I, I like to be that conversation starter yeah. where I actually create some conversation around mental health about being aware of also who you surround yourself with, being aware of what fulfills you, but firstly, how you're feeling and that whatever you're feeling is okay. Mm. And, it, and again, like that relates to your highs and your lows. It's just... You can't all be on a high 24-7. No, certainly not. Uh, and, and we spoke briefly about social media and mm. the uh, unfortunate use, you know, when it's not used properly and, and people tend to mask what's really going on in their life. But there's also an opportunity with it to be a force for good. Yeah. Do, do you, are you on social media? Are you encouraging that? Is that part of your, your strategy with what you're doing? So with what I'm doing, I'm trying to promote myself as a speaker, presenter. That's something. So I use social media for that. Okay. Even, even then, I, I'm, not, I'm not completely for it. Like from like for, for a business point of view, it's great. It's perfect. But from a personal point of view, like is it, is it helping people? Yes and mainly no. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's building connections. We can talk to people we haven't seen in ages or that don't live local to us, but then we're also comparing ourselves constantly. And or for me, I remember in year seven when I first became depressed, comparing my life where I was at home in my room on Facebook, looking at people that were at my school or at other schools, having a great time at all these parties um, that I was just there in my room, doing nothing, not knowing what to do. These guys have had their um, plates filled up with too much stuff to do. It's like, wow, mm. aren't I pathetic, right? So in that sense, I, I didn't like it yeah. at all. It was a bit of a trigger for you. Uh, yeah, but it was also, also something I went back to constantly. Yeah. And so I, I, I didn't get much social media from my injury. After my injury, the only other thing I've gotten is Instagram. And that was only a few months ago. That was just promote my speaking, but yeah. So, what's the uh, what's the future have in store for you, Matt? Where do you where do you see yourself? What's uh, what lies ahead? Fulfilling my mission to the complete extent it is that, that I can. That's the first thing. So that's running workshops in high schools, whether it be of universities, corporates, speaking at more conferences, whatever it is to do with that mission. 
that there's that also a book I've, I've that um, I'm planning and in the process of <laughs> it's quite a process um, yeah it's not a, it's not an easy thing to do writing not. a book most people think it's just pretty simple but there's a lot to it isn't there no considering I didn't do 11 12 English my writing's a bit <laughs> anyways did you finish school in the end well I went back Okay. But I was only allowed to do half the subjects to finish my HSC. Okay. So I didn't finish my HSC, but I finished. I say back for the end of year 11 and the rest of year 12. Did very well in the subjects I did. Yeah. But yeah. And anyways, um, so there's that. Then the currency trading. Yep. That's something I'm, I, I'm, I'm still going to continue. And then I'd love to get more experience in acting too. Because I found it helped my presenting, it also helped getting my message out there. Because that, that one ad I got, I got shot for was pretty, pretty cool. And it was pretty much in alignment with my mission, what it was. Which ad was that? It was an uh, organization called Tender Loving Care. I know they work with people um, with disabilities, an NDIS yeah. um, organization, but I'm not sure what, what else. They, um, yeah, got me to an ad but long term I see myself with firstly kids by 24 25 26 around that age then I also see me running personal development workshops cool. around like so like my other points that I don't really hone in with schools as much but um yeah that's all down the line how old are you now 19 19 okay well you've already done uh, a lot of things uh, <laughs> yeah I suppose, yeah, I have. Even since, you know, three years, I mean, you've, uh, it's, uh, I'm not saying it's been easy, and I guess you've had your fair share of challenges since. Every challenge has been a moment of, well, a, a time of, like, like, progression for me. I've grown stronger every time I've had a quote-unquote obstacle. I don't call them obstacles, I call them opportunities, because they truly build a stronger version of me. Lance Armstrong's uh, saying too. I think he wrote a bit about that in his yeah. book. Yeah, it's not about the bike. Uh, turn your obstacles into opportunities. I um, haven't. I haven't. Uh, what's, what's the book called? Uh, it's not about the bike. No, oh, it's, oh, it's not about the bike. It's yeah, that's the name okay. of the book. This is back before Lance got done for, for drugs, obviously. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. But uh, it's a very inspiring book, uh, nonetheless. Um, but in speaking on books, is there any books that you've read? Is there any. Have you got yeah. anything to share that people should go out there and put on their book list? I think the number one book that helped... Um, so so I, I only started reading books, by the way, uh, after I started speaking. Um, so around the time I started my uh, currency trading course. One book that I think the most impactful book for me has been The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Tolle yeah. That was incredible. I, oh, I, um, it it, it, it it sounds like common sense as you're reading it, but you no one's thought of it, you think. Well, at least you haven't. But you deep it down, you almost know, I feel. Correct. And then, I, I mean, personally, or what I would recommend is, is, is that uh, to you. Like, the book that changed my life was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's the first book I ever picked up. Robert Kiyosaki? Yeah. And, uh, and um, I'm actually in the process of reading it. I don't know what it's called. It's um. That's okay. 
Yes. Something to do with purpose. Um, oh, The Way of the Superior Man. No, I haven't. Who, who, do you know the author? It's not too much time. Yeah, I can't. can Google it anyway if they, yeah. if they want to. The, uh, who's been the biggest influence on turning your life around? Influence? Well, after my injury, right, and after I found speaking, at my currency course, I met someone who was my first mentor. He was another participant of the course, and he became my first mentor, and he's a massive inspiration to me. Guy Williams, he has yeah. changed me. He has, and I've met other people who are doing similar things, but no one has inspired me to the level that he has. The guy on the train, would he, uh, is, was there anything in that? There was, there was nothing further than that. Okay. So that he was a very significant like turning point for me. It's just, I don't know what, um, I don't know who he is, and I wish I did. Isn't that random? It's just, no, it's just, it's just, it's, it's like those, like, people call them coincidences, but I don't believe there's any coincidences in life. Yeah. That, the, I mean, the, he's the guy who happens to pop up into my, my world and say that. It's definitely not something common you'd think that someone would get on a train and go up to a, go on a wheelchair and say, mate, what did you do to yourself? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Well, it's pretty common to get asked what happened, what happened, what happened, because it's a natural curiosity, and that's fine. It's just, that's all you want to know. But, but his upbeat response and the way he was just, oh, well, that was silly, or, or yeah. you know, that's... Pretty stupid. That's <laughs> like, that's, uh, that's amazing. Uh, and, the, and how that's changed you and, and the journey that you're on since that. Uh, and then also having the courage to talk to people uh, and share your experience. Uh, I, I, I couldn't, I can't relate to it, but I, I do thank you uh, for doing that. I mean, my pleasure. It's uh, getting out there and creating that awareness uh, and, and doing that by, by doing the workshops and presentations. Yeah. Uh, it is inspiring, and I, and I know a lot of people will be influenced by you uh, in the future. Thank you. What, what, what is something, um, if you could go back and, and tell yourself, I normally say when you're 20 years old, I mean, you're not even 20 yet. <laughs> if you could go back and tell even your 12 year old self something, what would you tell that boy that was uh, feeling isolated, lonely, depressed? First thing is it's, it's okay yeah. that you're feeling like this. I understand now, 12-year-old Matt wouldn't have understood this, but I would have told anyway to plant the seed that understand this is a time of opportunity for you, that this, you will become a stronger version of yourself because you're going through these rough times. I would have understood previous times that have helped me, but I wouldn't have understood that that would help me. But the first thing would be, yeah, understand it's okay to feel like this. People do care. People want to support you. And it's okay to talk people out there. Is there anything that you previously held a strong belief on uh, that you've since changed your mind as a result of what's happened to you, whether it was the stigma around being able to talk about things to people or... That's the first thing. I, I thought people that went and saw therapists, psychologists, thought they were nuts mm. beforehand. So I carried that with me and it's again the reason why I didn't want to talk to the counsellor. I was hesitant to. Understanding it was okay to do that. And then after my injury, like the social worker helped me realize certain things. 
she um, definitely changed my perspective on things that, no, it's not nuts. It's actually the sign of emotional, let's say maturity. I'm not sure that's the right word. That you're okay with how you're feeling. You want support with it. That's, I, I, I think that's a massive belief that's changed within me. And also that everyone has a purpose. So I felt worthless beforehand. But I'm, I'm not, I have a purpose. And is that the sort of advice you would say to people out there that are going through something similar is to, to, to know it's okay, but also to seek some help? Yeah. Uh, and know that it's, it's a tool that can actually really help release the burden? Yeah, absolutely. It's, and I also want them to see the value they bring understand what fulfills them. Obviously in that frame of mind, it's hard to see, it's hard to see that, understand it. But I've had like moments while I'm on with students when they come up to me afterwards and they open up to me, they'll share how bad things have been. Maybe they've attempted suicide, whatever it may be. But there's something that fulfills them. There always is. And when they, when they talk about it, they light up, mm. they smile. They stand up straight and you can see that something fulfills them. I don't start with that. I try to understand where they're coming from and make sure they're okay. But definitely those two points you brought up, it's okay to be feeling like that, that there are support out there. Mm. Definitely something I would say. Well, Matt, uh, it's been uh, an inspiring conversation and I'm sure uh, you will inspire many more, uh, whether it's on stage, uh, through workshops, through your book, through social media, or through um, through TV commercials or any of your acting career as well. <laughs> so, uh, mate, it's great to hear the upbeat uh, attitude and optimism uh, and the new perspective on life that you have. Uh, and. I uh, just thank you for sharing your story and for continuing to do this to help be part of the solution uh, and help others uh, that can benefit from hearing what you've been through. So we really appreciate your time on the podcast and thanks very much for coming and talking today. Yeah, absolute pleasure. I've got a website, www.mattcaruana.com. If, um, Go check it out and see yeah. what Matt's been up to and see how you can get in touch with him to uh, hear more about his story. Um, and thanks very much again. My pleasure, man. Thank you for having me. Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au and be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.